Well, if you have been at any of our services the past two weeks, you know that we have just started a brand new sermon series called Cornerstone on Purpose. And we have rolled out our brand new purpose statement, which you can see on the wall downstairs in both English and Spanish. And our new purpose statement is, the Cornerstone family of churches exists to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, grow together, and serve others. So those three key words you can see on many of the individuals wearing shirts. You'll see love, grow, and serve. We, of course, have them prominently displayed. If you can see that, it's kind of washed out on the backdrop. Love, grow, serve. And the whole idea is that we, as a people of God, will continue to do these three things as we mature in our faith. And we learn how to pour into other people to do the same thing, that they would learn to love God more deeply, that they would grow together, maturing together in unity and in faith, and that they would be more vigilant and diligent about serving others as the Lord brings opportunity around them. That's kind of the nutshell of the purpose statement. And so each of these weeks we are breaking down the different value statements that go into that purpose statement. So each of those three words, love, grow, serve, has three values associated with it. And the last two weeks, we've looked at the first of those two values that have to do with how we love God. And so value number one is we value worship. We value exalting God as our highest pursuit. So Pastor Tim talked about that two weeks ago and how our aim by the grace of God and the spirit moving and working within us should be in seeking and pursuing our God. That should be our highest pursuit. And that, in a nutshell, is what worship is, right? As we obediently, lovingly pursue him wherever he leads us. And then last week, we looked at value number two, which is we value the Bible. We value the word of God as our greatest authority. And so while we are pursuing God as um, our, our highest opportunity of exaltation, we submit by faith to the word of God as our highest priority, our authority. Get all these words confused, you know, as I'm like mixed up. Today, we are going to look at the final value under loving God, and that is the value of prayer. And we value conversing with God as our deepest intimacy, all right? That is the value that we are going to be diving into today. And there are, it's impossible to do a sermon on prayer and do it even a smidgen of justice. And so as I prayed and thought about how to approach this, there is one psalm in particular that I think really captures the heart of this value that we are trying to express here. Again, we value conversing with God as our deepest intimacy. And sometimes it's accompanied by music, and that's good. You know, it makes it better. It's always better with music. Um, but if you would turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 84, we're going to be in Psalm 84 
as we look at what it means to really value and appreciate and pursue intimacy with our God. And so as you're turning in your Bibles to Psalm 84, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that we have the privilege of being called your brothers and sisters, that through you we are adopted into your family by faith, by your grace, and become children of our Heavenly Father. And we are so thankful for the loving intimacy that we can have as a family, as we spend time together, as we speak with one another. Lord, your presence and spirit is with us, and we are just oftentimes not appreciative enough of that. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your truth this evening, that you would be here guiding us, and that we would be encouraged and reminded yet again of your desire to be in every aspect of our lives as a loving father and a faithful friend. Lord, I pray that you would direct the words of my mouth, that I would not say anything, Lord, apart from your truth, and that all of our hearts would be prepared to hear and to receive and to grow. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to read through Psalm 84. Now, um, there's lots of different ways you can break this psalm down. And I thought that it would just be, well, for the sake of how we're approaching this tonight, we're going to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to give some exposition of the text as we break down different sections of it. And then at the end, we'll look at a couple of points of application. All right? So that's going to be the rough outline as we go through this. But we can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84, and we're going to read this. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, 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 I don't know. It, my footnote says it's probably a musical or liturgical term that I clearly don't know how to pronounce. So, A psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, or Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Now, you can just hear the passion and the, the heart of the writer of this psalm. It says at the beginning that it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. That gives us some very important context. If you go into Scripture, if you look at 1 Chronicles 26, in particular verses 12 through 19, you can just write the reference down. You don't need to turn there. But we find that the sons of Korah are of the tribe of Levi. They're Levites. And they were given the specific task of being the doorkeepers, of being the gatekeepers, basically being the janitors of the temple. It was their job to make sure everything was clean and tidy, but also to guard the doors so that there would be no impropriety or nothing negative coming in to the house of the Lord. And they had this job from the time that they were born. They were trained up to be able to do this when it was their time to travel to the temple to take care of this, or the tent of meeting before the temple was in place. And so these these janitors, if we can use that term, these gatekeepers, they are writing this psalm out of the abundance of joy they had at being privileged to do this. A job that, that many might think is lowly, they saw it as a joy that they could be in the presence of God. And their soul, it says, longed for that great joy and, and that peace they had through that. So, obviously this psalm, in a lot of ways, has the temple in view. Now, we're not quite sure if this was written prior to the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. We don't know. Um, but whether it was written before or was written after, it's clear from the authors and from the language of the text itself that the psalmist is talking about the great joy they have in being in God's temple and being in his house, in his presence. And it reflects what is referred to as the Shema, the, really the, the prayer of, of the Jews that they recite even till this day, Orthodox Jews will still recite the Shema every day based off of Deuteronomy 6. Shema just means hear, by the way, in Hebrew, because that's the first word of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
and with all of your might, your strength, right? And it, and it continues. Every day, Orthodox Jews continue to recite that. And we see that here reflected. Look at verse 1. It, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy for the living God. So I want you to, to circle those words, soul, heart, and flesh. Those are the three aspects of the Shema, right? Heart, soul, and might, heart, soul, and strength, in a different order, but the psalmist is reflecting and saying, hey, I am keeping what you have commanded us to do. My, my soul longs for you as I pray it would every single day. And this is a, an outpouring, this is an extension of that, that I get to be in your presence and I'm so overjoyed for it. And that is very important that we see that to the Jew, to the psalmist, to the ones who would recite this and sing it. This was an extension of their pursuit of God to, to be in his house to be in his presence, to enjoy spending time just where he dwelt. And I want us to hold on to that because that's kind of a critical narrative through the rest of this psalm. Now, it goes without saying, but I just want to point it out that the psalmist here is very clear to recognize that he is giving praise to the living God, the Lord of hosts. You see Lord Almighty or Lord of hosts a couple of times throughout this psalm, and that is one of the names of God that's been revealed to us in Scripture as Jehovah Sabaoth. Jehovah Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts or Lord Almighty, and, and that name really reflects God's majestic and powerful nature. That he is the God of angel armies. That song came out a couple years ago. You might have remembered it on the radio. That he is the one who is in control of all of the hosts of heaven. He is the one who is mighty and powerful and cannot be overcome. That as we look to him and we put our faith and trust in him, that he will be faithful and true and he will guard us and guide us and protect us. That is Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. And the psalmist recognizes that even though God is so big and he is beyond comprehension and so powerful that he could just win any contest with the snap of his fingers, we get to spend time in his presence. We have the privilege of going to his dwelling place, to the dwelling place of the living God. We don't worship a dead God, we worship a living God, amen? And we get to spend time in his presence where he dwells. So the psalm begins by really reflecting on the, the power and the privilege of those who dwell in the presence in the house of the Lord. And then the psalm moves on in verses 3 through 8, and again in verse 12, and it begins to talk about the blessings that come to those 
who actually make it a priority to do this. And we see in here that there are four beatitudes, four blessings within this psalm. In verses 3 and 4, in verse 4 in particular, it simply says that we are blessed just by being in your house singing your praise. How many of you know that? How many of you, when you come to a worship service, have that joy just begin to well up? And maybe you've gone through a really difficult week. Maybe you have been wading through a season of, of difficulty or doubt. But when you come into this house of worship, your spirit is lifted as joy begins to fill you and, and the Lord helps you to push aside some of that weight and just sing your praise out to him. That's the way it's meant to be. That's the way that the Lord intends this for us as a refuge, as a family. This is why in the early church, if you read through the book of Acts, they met together in their house churches. You can read Acts chapter 2, but they still continued, as long as they were able to, to meet in the temple together as one body, in, in one accord, singing praises and worshiping their God. There is value and there is power in coming together as a family in the presence of our God singing praises to him, blessing his name as he fills us with his joy and peace and like Pastor Kyle said, helps us to be refreshed and energized going into the days ahead. And so there is blessing just by being in the very presence of God in his house. And the psalmist gives us this analogy of the sparrow and the swallow. Now, it's not necessarily literally true that the sparrow and the swallow would lay their eggs on the altar of God. The priests probably didn't let that happen. But what we do know is, at least in the, the temple period, up through Christ in particular, that sparrows and swallows would often make their nests in the eaves of the outer courtyard of the walls and of the uh, little kind of leather overhangings that they would have. And they would chirp all day long as they flitted about uh, in flight around the temple. And it's a picture, it's an image of the joy that one has in the presence of God that overflows with singing, with chirping, and overflows with a free joy of life. When, when we're here praising our God, there should be a freedom that we have to, to worship our King, to lift our hands in praise, to lift our voices in song. I hope that when we are here singing, you feel that freedom, you don't feel any constraint, that you can sing out joyfully to our God. That is how it is intended to be. As we push aside any sort of inhibition because we are in the presence of our King, of our Father. 
And that's why the psalmist uses this imagery of, of these birds here, because that is how we are to be recognizing the freedom and joy that we have. But there's another blessing in verse 5. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, the Hebrew word for strength, it, it literally means strength. It's not very complicated. But it is often used not only to express physical strength, but it is used to express the idea of confidence. Confidence. That's kind of the, the deeper figurative and spiritual meaning here. That not only do we draw our physical strength from the Lord as He empowers us through His Spirit and He has made our bodies physically, but, but far deeper than that. When, when we make a priority of spending time in the presence of God, he instills in us a deep confidence. How many of you can relate to that? Or on the flip side, and I can relate to this, in a dry season when I feel like I am not doing as well as spending time with my God, that confidence begins to slip. I'm a little bit more on edge, or I have these doubts that might creep in however the enemy tries to attack me and begin to lie to me, right? I would guess that most of us can relate to each of those different scenarios and seasons. Scripture says very clearly that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And though the presence of God gives us that strength, gives us that confidence as he produces that joy within us, that's how it works. And our hearts, then, this verse says, are the highways to Zion. What, what does that mean? It's interpreted a couple different ways. Um, some people believed that this was one of the psalms that was sung in ascent to Jerusalem. That um, if you go to uh, Psalm 120 to 134, I can't remember, um, those are the Psalms of Ascent that, that we know that they would sing as they would travel up to Jerusalem in preparation, in anticipation of the, the three different festivals that we were, they were required to go to Jerusalem for, Passover being kind of the, the main one, right? Some people think that Psalm 84 was also a part of that, although that's kind of, it's not a certainty. Um, I think, and along with many other um, Bible scholars, think a better way to understand this is the idea of pilgrimage generally. Meaning that our hearts recognize that we are constantly on a journey seeking to draw closer to our God to be in His presence more fully. And this idea of pilgrimage, of highway, are, are in whose hearts are the highway to Zion, the paths to Zion, the, the roads that we travel to Zion. That's a, a very important mindset to have as we go through life because the text goes on and it says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Well, 
the Valley of Bacah is not a figurative place. There's no map of ancient Israel that says the Valley of Bacah. Bacah, or Baca, means weeping. It's the Valley of Weeping. It, it stands for a very low, difficult season and place. How many of you know that life is full of those? Right? Life is full of those. Where there is difficulty and pain and weeping. And the psalmist says that we are blessed with the strength of the Lord as we recognize the journey that we are on to seek him more deeply, especially through the valley of Bacah, those seasons of weeping. He says, as we seek the Lord through those valleys, as we recognize the journey will wind through dark places, that the Lord will turn that dry wilderness into a place of springs, and that there will be pools of water, and that the Lord will take us from strength to strength through those difficult seasons, difficult places. That is the blessing that comes from this idea of a pilgrimage closer and closer and closer to the presence of our God going from strength to strength, season to season, valley to valley. And this very much reflects the idea of Psalm 23. Many of you probably can recite the entire psalm by heart. But one of the passages in there says what, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? Why? Because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? That is the same idea, the same thought being expressed here. That as we go through those dark places, those seasons of weeping and death, our God takes us from strength to strength through them as we have that mindset of pilgrimage, we have that mindset of journeying, that this life is not about where I am right now, but about where I am ultimately going to be and end up with my God, right? Paul wrote in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It's a journey. It's a process that we're going through as we learn to more intimately engage with our God even in the difficult seasons. And so we have the blessing of strength in verse 5 and how our hearts are are set an understanding of this journey and this pilgrimage. And then the final blessing is at the end, verse 12, where the psalmist writes, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And, of course, I will we'll, um, expound on this a little bit more, but we all know that when we put our confidence and trust and we submit to our God, there is tremendous blessing that flows from that, especially as it manifests through an understanding and a submission to Jesus Christ by faith, right? That's not exactly what the psalmist is meaning and intending right here, but through the lens of the gospel, we know 
that that's what it points to, right? We know that this points to trusting in Christ. And that as we trust in Christ, we are greatly, greatly, greatly blessed. No, no deeper, higher, wider, longer love than the, that that Christ has for us. And we'll circle back around to that. But I want us to see then the last section here that the psalmist takes us through. So he, he highlights the value and significance of being in the dwelling place of God. Then he recognizes the blessing that comes through that and through seeking that and through trusting in that. But then at the end of the psalm, he turns his attention away from the house of the Lord and really to the Lord himself. And this ultimately is the pilgrimage that we all go on. We appreciate and value being in the presence of God in his house, but, but we all know, as Paul said in Acts, that this is Acts 17, when he's speaking to the Athenians and he is trying to reason with them, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. We know this. We know that this building is just a building. Now, this is where we gather together and worship, and we gather together to have times of prayer and, and deeper fellowship, and that's a good thing. But the Spirit of the Lord dwells within us now, right? We are the temple of the living God. And He leads us and directs us and goes with us wherever we are. And, and so, it's not necessarily about his temple, and the psalmist intrinsically recognizes that. It's about God himself, about being in the presence of our mighty and awesome God, which is why verse, verses 10 through 12 are all about just praising God for who he is. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why? Is it because he wants to be in the house of God? No, it's because he wants to be in the presence of God because he is so good. He said, I'll be a janitor and, and do the lowliest job. I'll be perfectly happy and content with that. I will pick that than even being in the tents of, of wickedness, meaning I will take the lowliest job serving my God over all of the power and money and influence and fame and anything else that this world has to offer, the, the tents of wickedness. I will gladly leave all of that behind in pursuit and in peace of being in the presence of my God. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He is the source of all light. He is the source of all protection. He is our strong tower, which we can run to and be safe, Proverbs says, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe, right? He, Christ is the, the solid rock, the foundation upon which we stand, 
The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And that is essentially the Old Testament version of Romans uh, uh, 8.28. Right? Um, you all know it. It basically says that... Um, Oh, why my mind is just blanking now. I know I should have written it down. I'm not just finishers. Um, those, those good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. Yeah, something like that. All right, you know it. Romans 8.28, look it up. Um, right? So, so that is the equivalent verse here in Psalm 84.11. That our God, he loves us. He will do good for us. He only means good for us as we seek him and we walk obediently, uprightly, trusting in him, right? All things work together to, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Boom. Holy Spirit power, all right. So this, look, I'm just, I'm just doing this, just kind of like a stone skimming across the surface of this psalm. There is so much depth here, guys, that I would encourage you, go, go read some good commentaries, go dive into your own study, ask the Lord to open your eyes to the greater depths here. This is a psalm that is so full of passion and praise, and I gotta be perfectly honest with you, I'm not very good at that stuff. I'm not very good at the the deeply emotional pieces of scripture. I'm typically far more of a head than a heart guy, if we can use that kind of dichotomy. And so as I have been reading through this, one of the things that I have been praying is, Lord, I, I want to be like these guys. I want to be like the sons of Korah, who just, who just long to be in your presence serving you. Because so often, how many of you can relate to this? See, it's, it's not a matter of intellect or volition. I, I, know, I know how mighty and awesome my God is. And by God's grace, I will choose this day whom I will serve. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? So it's not a question of what I know. It's not a question of, of my, my choices. It's... It's a question of my affection, my, my, my passion. Like, what is my heart drawn to in a given moment? And oftentimes, just being real, like, I, I'm not like the sons of Korah. I'm perfectly content in the tense of wickedness. And that really grabbed me and convicted me this week. Now, remember, this is all about how we value conversing with our God as our highest intimacy. This is really about prayer, isn't it? This psalm is really about recognizing how close our God is, how near he is to us, and drawing near to him. Right? Like James 4 talks about. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right? And for me, 
And I would imagine for many of us that that's the trick. It's that desire to continually and constantly being, be drawing nearer to our God. Not up here, because of course, I think, I would hope that we all say that we want that, but do our affections, practically speaking, seek that? And there's a discipline in that. There's a discipline in that. And it starts with asking the Lord to help us to do it. Because here is, here's the reality of us as human beings who are created in the image of God, but who are fallen and broken and filled with our selfish, prideful desires is that there is no way that we can manifest and muster this in our own strength. And we will be disappointed and discouraged and defeated over and over and over again if we don't ask the Lord to help us to do this. And praise God, he will answer that prayer. He will help us to do this. Ezekiel 36 I love this passage. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, our Lord has done this as we have submitted to him in faith, right? Theologically, if you're already not yet, you know, we're all justified, and, but we're constantly being sanctified. We, we don't need to get into a deep theological discussion. But the point of it is, the Lord has done this already. We have new hearts of flesh, and we are filled with the Spirit of God. Praise God. How many of you all can get an amen for that? right? But he's also continually working this out in us as we mature, as we go on that pilgrimage, that journey of faith through the mountains and the valleys of life. And the key is that we are seeking him and asking him to continually give us hearts of flesh, to continually fill us with his spirit so that we would have the desire to seek him, that our affections would go after him as opposed to any of the idols, any of the distractions that the world would tempt us with, would hold out to us to try to dry our, draw our hearts away. Right? You guys, you all know what I'm talking about. I'm sure there are things in your life right now that you can say, yeah, that's one of those things. Lord, that might not even be a bad thing, but help me to be like the sons of Korah and desire your presence more than that. Desire your joy and peace more than any of the fleeting frivolities that this world has to offer. Now, this can only happen, it can only happen, and it's how the psalmist ends, as we trust in Christ. Blessed is the one who trusts in 
you whose trust is in God. If any of us are going through life and we are not seeking the freedom that Jesus offers, right? Jesus, Paul wrote, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1, I think. So that is what we are offered in our king. We are offered freedom and peace and joy, the, the flitting around like sparrows and swallows in his presence. And yet our affections so readily want to submit again to that yoke of slavery, submit again to the, a lesser, far, far lesser idol, replacement, whatever word you want to use for it. By God's grace, we seek to trust in Christ so that we walk in the freedom of his spirit and the joy of his salvation, recognizing the pilgrimage and the journey that we're on. Now, the sons of Korah, they longed to be in the house of God because that was what they were called to do. That was their identity. From the time that they were born to the time that they became men and then ultimately were educated and trained to serve in the house of God, everything was preparing them for that service. They knew that. They were sons of Korah. That's who they were. And so I think this is a key aspect at least it is for me, of why my affections can be so easily drawn elsewhere. It's because this world and all of the lies and all of the enticements that it has are constantly seeking to get me to identify myself as anything other than a child of God, a servant of the king. The sons of Korah could sing praises like this psalm because that was their identity. That was so deeply ingrained into them. They recognized who their God was and they recognized who they were to him and they sought that. They, they put all of their soul, all of their heart, all of their flesh into that by the grace of God. And so if you're like me and you find your affections drawn elsewhere, the question to ask is what is causing me to prioritize that over my walk with God? And the answer, if we look at the heart of it, is going to be because I am creating my identity in this, in this moment at the very least, but probably even more. My identity is being found in this thing as opposed to in my walk with God. It's, it comes down to an identity issue. Who am I in this moment? Am I a, am I a servant of the king? 
who God has prepared me and called me and equipped me to be? Or am I this hobbyist, this sports fan, this employee, this parent, this husband, this mother, this daughter, whatever other identity you might have that could draw our hearts away. I would encourage all of us, certainly myself included, when we begin to recognize our affections wandering from the road of pilgrimage to our God, to stop and ask and invite those around you who know you and who love you and who can speak truth to you and love to tell you, invite them in to tell you, hey, what do you see going on here? And how is, how is my rootedness and my identity in Christ? Because what does the psalmist say in verse 5? He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Right? Not in themselves. It's in Christ. It's all about being identified and rooted in Christ. There's a quote from F.B. Meyer that Pastor Tim used many, many years ago in a sermon, and I liked it so much, it really resonated with me, I um, put it on my wall in my office. And it's this, it says, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? If you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to allow the Lord to help you to get to the place where you will be willing to give everything up for him? And we can take that and apply it here. Are you willing to give up all those identities that compete against our identity with Christ? And if not, are you at least willing to be made willing to do that? Are you willing to let the Spirit of God take you and mold you and shape you so that you can hold that out with an empty hand and the Lord can take it and replace it with the joy of serving Him in His presence, in His house, wherever He leads you on the journey of faith? That's my encouragement to us. That's my challenge to us. And by God's grace, as we trust in Jesus, I know that we will get there walking in the freedom of our faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.